Last Sunday, I, I preached uh, from Mark chapter 13. We're going to be in the second half of Mark chapter 13 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can go on ahead and open up there. Um, but after the sermon, um, there, was a, there was a man, I'm making, seeing if he's here right now. There was a man who was here last Sunday, and uh, it was his first Sunday at our church, and he caught me afterwards, and, uh, and he asked me a question that kind of uh, set me back on my heels. I don't always know how to respond to people when they talk to me at the back door. And he said, is this indicative of your preaching? Right? Is this, is this how you always preach? And, and, I'm, and, I, and I don't know what to say to that, right? Because I'm like, is that, is that good? Like, yes, it is. And, and then he's like, wow, you're terrible, right? Wow. Or, or like, oh, you know, like, I, I don't know what to say. Um, I'm pretty much the same guy week to week. I, I approach God's word the same way. Um, but I was preaching through Mark chapter 13 as the Olivet Discourse, and it's got end time stuff in it. And so I kind of said, well, I don't preach on the end times every week, if that's what you mean. Like, I, I just kind of preach through books of the Bible. Um, but today, if you came last week for the first time and you come this week for your second time, you're really going to be convinced that I only preach on the end times. Because, again, Jesus is still talking to his disciples about what is to come, okay? And this is a, our last uh, kind of sermon on that vein for, for a little while because this is the last time Jesus talks about it in the book of Mark. Um, but if you're there in your Bible, Mark chapter 13, um, starting in verse 24, and he, Jesus is explaining uh, the return, the second coming um, that he's promised to have for the church. And he says, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So Jesus is sharing about how the second coming is going to happen. And he says there's going to be these, these signs that are going to predate uh, the second coming. There's going to be some heavenly celestial signs. There's going to be a disturbance of the things that have always been constant. You know, the stars are constant. Um, they move, you know, day by day, but we, for, you know, thousands of years have been able to, to tell you what star pattern is going to be up uh, if you look in this area, because the stars are always there. They're predictable. They're consistent. You know, just like the sun rising every day and setting every evening is a predictable course of nature. The, 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 the setup of our stars is the same way. And when the second coming is about to happen, that thing that has always been constant is all of a sudden going to be thrown into massive disarray. Right? It's going to be markedly different. The, you know, if, you're, if you're into astrology, your horoscope is going to say, stay inside, right? Things are messed up right now, right? The astronomers who actually look at the stars and study the stars are going to be perplexed and wondering what's going on. This isn't right. They're going to be coming up with all sorts of um, explanations for what could be or should be or might be happening. But the truth is uh, the earth is, is waiting for the return of the king and the king is on his way when that happens. It's a sign that it's coming. But you know what's neat about the second coming of Jesus Christ? This is important for us. First of all, I said last week Southern Baptists have a very unique view of the end times in that we're not real specific. Um, I love the Baptist faith and message. It's kind of like the, I don't know, if you want to look at the theology of the Southern Baptist Church, that's where you would find it in the Baptist faith and message. And when it gets to the end times, it's real simple. It's like Jesus is coming again when time has been fulfilled, right? When, the, when, when, when God is ready, 
when all the stuff that needs to happen is going to happen, Jesus is going to come again to gather his saints uh, and to rule and reign. Right? And that's kind of the entire thing. Now, you can be more specific than that inside the Baptist church. You could be a, a, a dispensationalist, you know, pre-trib, pre-mill dispensationalist. You can be an all-millennialist. The guy who preached in this pulpit before me for years was an all-millennialist, much to the chagrin of a former member. He would come in my office and lament uh, that Jack was an all-millennialist, as if that was some sort of grave and damnable heresy, right? right? Like, there's a whole, like, range of acceptable in times beliefs. But to be a Baptist, all you have to believe is there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to come back. Right? We don't know exactly when that day is going to be, and we won't even tell you exactly how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen with certainty. And when he does, he's going to gather up his people to him. And that's what Jesus says here, right? Uh, the Son of Man is going to come with power and glory. He's going to appear not like Jesus appeared when he came in the first coming, as a baby, meek and mild, in a manger who grew into a teacher with a small following of people. No, he's going to come with power and glory, unmistakably powerful King of Kings returning to take care of the problems here on earth. He's going to emerge, and when he comes, he's going to send his angels out, and they are going to gather up his people. His people from past, his people from present are going to be gathered together, and they'll be joined with him forever. This is the promise of Scripture. This is why we long for the return of Jesus. I don't long for the return of Jesus because it shortens the days of unbelievers. I don't long for the return of Jesus because of the signs of destruction. Read the book of Revelation. It is, there is all sorts of bad, scary things that are going to happen to the earth when Jesus returns, right? It's going, to be, it's going to be a mess for a whole lot of people. It's going to be a time of great sorrow and great pain for the world. But I long for the return of Jesus because at that moment when he comes, we will be gathered to the one who loves us most. We will no longer live estranged in a world that is broken and messed up. We will be gathered together to him. I was reading in, uh, I don't know what book I was reading this week about this, but someone was talking about the end times. And, you know, there's, there's an idea that, that, that Jesus will come with a shout. And, and so one student asked this guy, he said, what, what, what is Jesus going to shout? What's the word he's going to shout? And the Bible doesn't tell us what Jesus is going to shout. He's not going to shout charge or yippee-ki-yay, or I don't know what Jesus is going to shout, right? Uh, but, but there's going to come a time when Jesus is going to come back, and there's going to be this large shout of acclamation. Everybody around is going to hear it, and, and this uh, student kept pressing the teacher, uh, and the teacher didn't know what to say, and he said, you know what, he's just going to say enough, right? And, and, and the truth is, that would work, wouldn't it? Enough, enough of the brokenness, enough of the sickness, enough of the sin, enough of the depravity, enough of the torn up families, enough of the, uh, of the sin sick world. It's done. I'm here enough. And everything that's broken is going to be made right. And those of us who are in a relationship with him through faith, right, who've come to Jesus through faith, are going to be gathered to him. We're going to experience something that we can't experience on this side. Right, this side of eternity, I've talked about heaven, I don't know, several weeks back. You know, heaven is altogether different than we think of it. Right? It's altogether a different picture than we think of uh, whenever we kind of mentally go in our minds to what heaven looks like, but it's better than you think. 
it's better. And so whatever the, the you know, uh, I was in the high school, Sunday school class today, and they're like, hey, if you could go anywhere on vacation, right, if you could have a, a trip anywhere in the world, all expenses paid, where would it be? And I don't, I don't know. I don't really have a spot like that. But, you know, we think about that sometimes. Where would I go if, if money wasn't an option and I could just spend two weeks with no responsibility just being in that perfect, idyllic place, where would it be? And you might have a place, you might say, man, there's this, there's this cabin on the, on the top of this mountain in the summer, and oh my goodness, that's where I'm going to be. Or maybe it's a beach somewhere when the weather is just right. Right? You have, you have this place in your mind. I want to tell you, heaven is better than that. That moment when we're gathered to Jesus, we're going to understand that all of those things that seem so good on this side are really, really empty. I mean, they're just so empty. It's tough for me to even fathom what that's like, but Jesus is going to come back and he's going to gather us to himself. Guys, that's the first thing we need to know about the second coming of Jesus Christ. First of all, it's certain, but, but really when it comes certainly, it is great for the church. That's why the oldest prayer of the church, one of the oldest prayers of the church is come Lord Jesus. We long for his returning because we long, right, not, not to escape this, but to experience him. We long to experience the fullness that Jesus is and has to offer to us as the church. But Jesus continues on teaching beyond the idea that he's coming again. He talks to his, uh, his disciples and he says, look, um, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very Gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things, all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This passage is so, so nice until you get to verse 30, and then you're like, what the heck is that all about, right? Um, but the passage is so nice, right? They, Jesus uses an analogy um, from common life, and you know, we can predict when things are going to come, like when the, when the seasons are going to change, right? If you have if you have animals, right, you can tell when, when the storm's about to get severe, right, because the animals know um, from whatever's inside of them, like, oh, it's time for me to go lay down somewhere because things are about to get rough um, out there. And so he used the example of a fig tree, and he says, like, when you see the, the, the leaves do this specific thing, you know summer is coming. You know it's, it's right around the corner. The summer is fast approaching. And in the same way, when you see the signs that I just mentioned, when the heavens are out of whack, when things are going haywire, you know it's imminent, right? The return of Christ is imminent. And there's this idea all through Jesus' teaching, but also through the teaching of Paul and Peter, uh, that, that the return of Christ is any day now. Right now, some of those people who are really good with charts and graphs will say, well, you know, you had to have Israel become reconstituted in the 1940s, and then after Israel was reconstituted in the 1940s, then you had to have a full generation pass, and then after that generation pass, then the second coming is a possibility. But the truth is, Jesus can come now. Right? There's nothing in my understanding of God that says he can't come now. And if you have an understanding that says God can't come now, that makes you kind of above him like you're his supervisor, okay? So let's, let's avoid supervising God. He can do what he wants, right? He can come anytime. Now, the return of Christ is absolutely imminent. It's nearby. It's close at hand. And so Jesus says, when you see these signs, ultimately you know that it's right there. And then he uses this phrase, and this is the phrase we have to deal with, right? Truly I say to you, verse 30, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And so you have to ask yourself, 
Was Jesus wrong, right? This generation, he's speaking to his disciples, and so the natural interpretation of that is say, like, man, those disciples, one of them will not pass away until these things take place, until the second coming, the Son of Man comes in glory and power, gathering his elect to him. And you know what, guys? All 12 of those guys are dead. And all of their kids are dead, and their grandkids are dead. That generation has very surely passed away. So either Jesus is wrong, or there's something else going on here. And I will submit to you, just just so you know, Jesus isn't wrong, right? That's part of uh, who Jesus is, not to be wrong. So what does this mean, this generation? What, it, what, what it's talking about is it's not talking about the generation Jesus is speaking to, but the generation who experiences those signs, when those signs come to begin, that generation will not pass before everything is done. That last segment of the end is going to happen quickly. Right? We've had 2,000 years of this kind of waiting game, but when the end begins, it will come suddenly. Right? There's a seven-year period, if you, if you understand Daniel, uh, as a literal understanding of seven years of the book of Revelation, uh, when you get into the seven years of the tribulation. But ultimately, Jesus says, when it starts, it will end soon. Guys, and so what that means is when the end comes, it's going to come quickly, but the end is near. I don't say that to scare you. I don't say that to, to, to tell you you need to do, or do something different than what you're doing right now, other than to say live with an expectation that today could be the day. Right? Jesus informed his disciples constantly, uh, parable after parable, be ready, be prepared, I'm coming again. Don't be caught unaware of my return. Be ready for my return. The church should be standing vigilant, waiting for the return of Christ. And guys, we're 2,000 years into the wait, right? And, and, and sometimes our resolve is not that great, right? And we think maybe, maybe he's not going to come. Or maybe he's not going to come now. I mean, he didn't come in the last century or the century before that or the millennium before that. Maybe, maybe he's not going to come. But as sure as the sun comes up, Jesus will return. We need to be ready. Right? The end is near. It's imminent. It could be now. It could be before the end of the sermon, or it could be before we go to bed tonight, or it could be before your, 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 your next birthday, or it could be any time. But it's near at hand. For As a church, we need to live with an understanding that today could be it. Not just for us, like we could go get hit by a bus. There's not a lot of buses in Rockdale, but... School buses, I guess, could get you, um, right? Right. It's not that. Not, I'm. I'm not saying like for you personally, the end is near, but like the end of everything is near. We need to live with an understanding of that. That should change how we evangelize, right? Because if I truly believe that the end is near, if I believe that Jesus could come back today, right? My next door neighbor, who loves Jesus, by the way, but but I should be willing to share the gospel with my next door neighbor, right? Because the end is near. It could be any moment. Now, as we're, we're, we're pregnant in an expectation for the arrival of the, of the second coming, right? Now, I've dealt with some people who've been real pregnant. I'm looking at Joe Reyes is here today. His wife just gave birth to their, uh, their third little child, little Hadley, a beautiful little girl, two and a half weeks old now, something like that. I mean, just a, a little, little bitty doll, right? But Amber was pregnant. I mean, she was, she was pregnant in an expectation and waiting. But you know what they did? For the nine months that, that they were pregnant, man, they got ready. 
They prepared the house. I was like, hey, is, is the nursery ready? Oh, yeah, the nursery's ready. Yeah, we got a place for her. We got everything set up. We're ready because we've been waiting for her coming. We knew she was coming. We prepared for her coming. And when she got here, we were ready for her. The church has got to be ready like that. We've got to be ready for the arrival. Right? We've got to be ready. We've got to be preparing. We've got to have our, our, our houses in order so that when he comes, we're not cut unaware. Because, guys, the end is near. Jesus' return is very imminent. It could be any moment. Be ready for that now. And then the third thing, as we go further down, it says, verse 32, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Right? And so Jesus continues on. He, he, he drops a little knowledge for us. This is good for us uh, who get caught up in the evangelical culture of, of date setting. But Jesus says, right now, no one knows the time of the return of the Son. Right? You might have an idea. You might have speculation. You might have, as you've looked through Scripture, you might have your own theories. But guys, that's all you have. You don't know when Christ is going to return. I showed last week just a list, right, of people who screwed up, right? Like, like you know, it started in 365 A.D., and about every 20 years after that, we got someone saying the end of the world is going to occur. Jesus, come back today. Jesus, come back today. Jesus, come back today. Guys, they're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. No one knows when he's coming. Jesus says himself in that moment, he doesn't know. This has a lot to do with the incarnation, which is the idea that God became man. Jesus took on flesh and became like one of us. And when Jesus did that, he voluntarily set aside some of his deity, right? Some of his, his elements of his deity, which basically means like in this moment, Jesus did not know what it is. Now, Jesus now is at the right hand of the Father. I have no doubt that Jesus could tell you the exact moment in history that he would return. But when he was on earth, he laid aside much of his, his God that's not a good word, uh, much of his uh, uh, divine attributes so that uh, he could be like us. He could be a, a sacrifice for us. That's why Jesus is not omnipresent when he was on earth, right? He was in one place at one time in that point in history. But Jesus didn't even know at that time. If Jesus didn't know, the one who was closest to the Father, the one who had the best access to the Father, do you really think the TV preacher knows? I mean, honestly, do you think that the TV preacher has better understanding, better knowledge of, of, of the return of Christ uh, than, than the Son of God who is in direct communication with the Father? No. No. But it's not for us to know. Or it's not for us to know because, you know what, if we knew, like we, 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 can, we know when the baby is supposed to come. Right, we get a, early on, you get a day, right? It's amazing to me how great doctors are at pushing that all the way back to a day. They're like, and your due date is seven months and four days from now. And I'm like, how do they know? 
How do they know when the, when the due date is? I guess because they're doctors. I don't know. I don't study this stuff. But, right, like they have a specific day. And so you know, I got six months. I can kind of lay back. But in that last month, I'm going to have to buckle down, right? And the, like the, the good person gets on it right away and gets the nursery all built out in case there's a premature birth or we got some other complications or life happens. But some of us, man, we just push it to the end. We wait till the deadline comes. And once the deadline's here, we're, we're cramming it all in, right? Some of you, that's how you did all of your school, right? You got to read a 200-page book by three weeks from now, right? Three weeks go by, it's the night before, and you're just reading, right? Try to get through this book as much as I can. I was the worst at it. And I was literally the worst at it in school. You know, I, I, don't, I don't talk much about my middle school years because I was a terrible student. Um, but when I was in middle school, I got uh, below a 50 in reading. Re, re, I was sixth grade, and I got the, the lowest Fortman ISD would put on the report card is a 50. I had like a 33 in reading. I could read. I could read at a great level. Like if they just sat me down and said, read, understand, and do this. No, but it was projects, right? And these massive projects, and for some reason they count for triple grades. And te- I don't know. I don't understand you teachers. But regardless, I don't do projects in middle school. And so I would walk into class, and all my, my friends would have like their, you know, whatever, their dioramas or whatever it is. And I'd walk into class and be like, what's going on, guys? Right? And the teacher's been talking about it for Lord knows how long, but I never even thought of it because I wasn't prepared for it, right? And I got burned, and then my parents burned me after that, right? Like, that's what happens, <laughs> right? Whenever you're unprepared for what you're supposed to see for good. But see, guys, if we knew when the end was going to come, right? If I, if I told you with certainty, you know what? Jesus is going to return, you know, July 14th of 3,211. You guys right now would be like, whew, no problems. I don't need to be ready, right? But Jesus says, I can come back anytime. And he tells a little story, just a little parable sort of story. He says there's a a master of the house, right? He leaves to go on a journey. And then he tells, he gives everyone their jobs, and he tells the, the doorkeeper, the one who's supposed to be ready to open the door when he comes home, he says, you stay awake. I'm coming back. You stay awake. He doesn't say how long he's going to be gone. He doesn't say when he's expecting to be home. He says, you stay awake. So when I get home, I'll, 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 I'll be let in with no problem. And so what does that guy have to do? He has to stay awake. He has to stay alert. He has to stay ready. Because guys, only God knows the exact time of the return of Jesus. And so we have to be prepared now for it. And to prepare ourselves for it, first of all, means that we, we've done business with Jesus Christ. We've entered into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. We've, we've come to him through faith. We've confessed our sins. We've asked for forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he is faithful and, and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. All right? if, we, if we confess with our mouth to Jesus the Lord, that he'll, he'll save us of our sins. But if we've already done that and we've already been uh, saved of our sins, we've already been uh, purified of our sins, we still have to be ready for his return. Right? We need to be found ready. I've I've told my penny fight story, but it's one of my favorite stories in my life. I was, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade, and my brothers and I found out that you could throw pennies uh, and they would just zip. I mean, if you take a penny and you can wing it, and it doesn't do much damage because it's penny. And so if you hit someone, 
I get smarts, but it's not much more than that. And my parents had, like everyone else's parents had, this big old jar of pennies. And so we went wild one day. I mean, wild. We were chunking pennies at each other, and it was great fun. Then we, we stopped. My, my parents, my dad gets home around 6 o'clock. My mom just about the same time. And so we stopped, and we swept the whole house and gathered up all the pennies and the lint and the dust, and we poured it back in the jar. Right? And it was great. My parents came home, no problem. So the next day, it's summer, obviously. So the next day, my parents go uh, to work, and uh, we call up our friends, and we say, hey, guys, come over to the house. We're going to have a good time. And we have, I mean, we're flipping couches over as forts, and we're, I mean, it is, kids, not named Higginbotham's in here, you want to have some fun. You throw some pennies at some people, okay? It is just perfect fun. Right, we covered up like the computer monitor and the TV with a, a blanket because we don't want to break anything. Uh, and we were having a great time. Three o'clock, stop it, uh, flipping the couches back over, and then we hear the garage door. Now, I, my whole childhood, my dad came home from work early once. Once, he came home from work early, right? Because he always came home, 6 o'clock, worked till 5 in Houston, took about an hour to get home, 6 o'clock, he'd be home, 6 o'clock, he'd be home, 6 o'clock, he'd be home, 3, 10, our friends are gone, right? Because the fun is over and the cleaning up is going on. We've got the couches upright, thankfully, I can't even imagine. We've got the couches upright, we hear the garage door, and we know. I mean, there's, I don't know. $300 worth of pennies all over our house. I mean, they're all over the place. There's no way. And so we're sweeping frantically and like trying to make it where my dad won't slip and fall when he comes in the house. And my dad walks in. And he lays us out, me and my brother. And he sends us to our rooms. And then he goes to his room because he is so mad he doesn't want to murder us. He doesn't want to murder us. Three hours later, my mom comes home. And there has not been a noise in the house. There's brooms in the corners. There's pennies still scattered all over the place. We found pennies, by the way, when my parents moved from that house 20 years later. We found pennies in some of the places, like in the mini blinds, where you wouldn't, like, you know, unless you take your mini blinds down, uh, you would never, ever know they were there. There were pennies falling from the sky. Three hours later, my mom comes home. She walks in the door, she sees the brooms, the pennies, and the silence, and she's like, people are dead. (laughs) And so my mom comes upstairs, she goes in my room, and thankfully I'm still alive, and she says, Matt, what happened here? And I look at my mom with my fifth grade innocence, and this is what I tell my mom. I say, Mom, Dad came home early. (laughs) Right, that's the problem, right? Dad came home early. I wasn't ready, guys. I wasn't ready for my dad to come home. I would have been ready if he had come home when I thought he was going to come. The house would have been fine. We got away with it for the day before. Everything would have been fine. But when he came home when I wasn't expecting it, my life was never the same. He came home early. Guys, some of y'all, some of y'all know Jesus Christ, you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, but if Jesus were to come today, 
you would be absolutely mortified because you're not ready for him. He'd walk in on you doing some stupid stuff. I mean, shameful, stupid stuff. As his children, a people bought with his blood, paid for, and he'd walk in and you would be in the middle of a flagrant sin, pride of anger, drunkenness, you know, pornography, fornication, a word we don't use in the church anymore because it doesn't sound good. If he came home today, if Christ returned now, are you really ready to stand before him? Not are you ready as in you're prepared because your sin has been paid for, but, but would you stand before him with some degree of confidence knowing you did what you could with what God gave you? Are you going to stand before him with shame? Taking advantage of his sacrifice and living a life that shames him the rest of the way. As a church, we need to be ready for the return of Christ. We need to prepare for the return of Christ. We have to be ready for the return of the king. Because when he comes again, he's not coming meek and mild. He's coming to rule and to reign. And we are supposed to be ready to rule and reign with him. Are you ready for that, though? Are you so caught up in your own stuff? Are you so caught up in living your best life now, of doing your own thing for yourself? Right? Is it all about you? Are you ready? Because he's coming again soon. Guys, I hope you'll be found ready. And if you're not today ready... What your job is right now is to get ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus today, I want to tell you something. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how righteous you think your life is. If you're living your life outside of a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not ready. You might be better than I am. You might be Mother Teresa. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not ready for his return. He's going to gather his elect to him, those who know him first. You need to be in that gathering. And you can do that today by crying out to him in faith. Are you ready for the return of the king? The king is coming. Are you ready? Let's pray.